It's the new year and time for the new you. You've thought about running for political office, but don't know where to start. Before you start any planning, you need to secure your name online with a yourname.vote web domain. This means your constituents will know they are learning about the real you when they surf the web. Secure your domain from GoDaddy.com today. Now on 960 The Patriot, you're listening to live primary coverage with Chuck Warren and Sam Stone. Brought to you by Breaking Battlegrounds. All right, welcome to the Breaking Battlegrounds breakdown of election results in Arizona and across the country. If you are wondering who these guys you've never heard on your radio before are, it means you don't tune in Saturdays at 3 p.m. here in Arizona. Uh, We are also on in Tampa at 10 a.m. on Saturdays, expanding to some other markets. We're going to be calling all the races for you tonight. We have some early results from other states, Missouri, Michigan, uh, Kansas. We have a very competitive set of races here in Arizona to talk about. Early results just pouring in here in Maricopa County. Chuck, the big take, the big race everyone's talking about, the governor's race. Karen Taylor Robeson, Carrie Lake, early returns do not look good for Carrie Lake. And and disclosure, I'm part of her team and her policy director have worked on this for over a year. So they don't look good in Maricopa County. Yep. We also realize this is a big state. We have Pima. We have rural counties. We also have these these votes do not count today's people who voted today. So we could be in for a long week. We, we could. We and, could. And dear friends, we will not be here for that whole long week, but we want you to know this could be buckle up. We're, we're here for four hours with you tonight. <laughs> so uh, we're on until midnight. Uh, early returns, really surprising, um, quite frankly, that that is that big a lead for Karen Taylor. None of the polling showed anything like that leading up to this. Well, it's funny. We, Brad, as you know, our one of our data guys kept doing these IVRs and live calls every week, and he showed that, but we only did Maricopa and Pima, so we didn't take much to it, but it showed that all week. Well, and, and there actually are some issues in Pinal and Pima County tonight with the vote. <laughs> well, they ran out I mean, of Republican ballots. How do you do that? I, that? That is either malfeasance or incompetence of the highest level. It's incompetence. Everyone... I don't think it's malfeasance. It's just oh, I don't know. Pima County, I have real questions about. Pinal is incompetence. It's true. You're a Pima guy, so you would know. Oh, no, look. That that place is a viper pit of it, not merely incompetence, but deliberate uh, fraud of every type. Well, let's quickly get here to some other things. We have our guest, Henry Olson, on. Um, in the U.S. Senate race in Maricopa County, Blake Masters at 107 and 76 votes. Jim Lehman is next at 89,491. Our uh, attorney general um, is 62,718. General McGuire, 27,268. And Justin Olson, 17,513. And then in Arizona CD1 in Maricopa County, um, it looks like David Schweikert is going to return back to be the nominee. Uh, and probably head back to Washington. He has a solid 10-point lead, 44 to 34 over Elijah Norton, with Josh Barnett at 22%. Um, not really surprising there in a lot of ways. In um, CD4, you have Kelly Cooper at 30%, and then Tanya Wheelhouse Wheelis at 25%. That's a bit of a surprise. 
for early right now, you know, but the, we'll see what happens. The big happen. surprise in that race is the numbers by Giles, Renee, Lo, uh, Dave Giles at 19%, Renee Lopez at 15%, Jerome Davison at 11%. Uh, you, you, I think you had a lot of voters who just didn't know who they were going for in that race and and kind it's of It's so hard in those congressional loss. races because these statewide races have just sucked the oxygen out of everything. Right. Advertising, talent, you know, so you've had between the Senate race and the governor's race, what, $50 million spent? At least. At least. Yeah. I mean, you just get, you know, if you're a congressional race and you're spending 600 grand on TV, no one's seen you. No one's yeah. seen you. And no. um, and then in um, let's see, I think that's it. There's some interesting um, races in um, legislature. Um, there was a competitive one in state senate district three. John Kavanaugh is at fifty two percent, and Jan Dubaskis, who has put Dubaskis. up who's put up a real real fight, is at forty eight percent. We'll see what election day totals were there. So it's it's going to be a great night to um, stay tuned to us, folks. Um, and I yep. think we're going to have Henry Olson on here to talk about. Other races across the nation as we get more results in from Arizona. Yeah, absolutely. One surprise I want to note, too, is the uh, state rep district three. Joseph Chaplick, as expected, leading that 38 percent. But number two, a little bit counted out, Alexander Culloden. Yeah. Uh, at 21 percent, ahead of Darren Mitchell at 17 percent. And Alexander has been a big advocate and his attorney, who's the state Republican Party attorney, has been involved in the recount. So we'll see how that goes. So yeah. um, I do believe, do we have Henry? All right, here we go. Henry. Hello, hello. How are you? I'm doing fine. How about you? We're doing good. Thanks a lot for joining us tonight. So tell us, let's go first of all to Kansas. Tell us about the um, the initiative out there regarding abortion. Did it, Are you surprised by the results? Um, what do you yeah, see? Yeah, I am. Um, I think what we uh, it'll take a while for people to get in and unpack uh, who voted. Uh, it looks like Democrats were a much larger share of the electorate than they would normally be in a Kansas race, but the fact is still that over 20% of the people who voted in the Republican primary voted no on the proposed initiative. Uh, and uh, that's a warning sign, I think, to Republicans that uh, even people who are within their coalition uh, don't see eye-to-eye with them on the, on the question of abortion. We have Matt Lewis, our mutual friend here in the studio, Henry. Um, Matt, what do you think about the Kansas results? What sticks out to you? <laughs> I mean, what Henry just said, it, it's, it's, it's so interesting. You know, about a year ago, last June, I wrote a piece for the Daily Beast saying, number one, much more likely that Roe versus Wade will be overturned than most people know. Uh, and number two... People have no idea the impact this is going to have on the midterms. I mean, forget everything you know about the midterms. This is going to rock your world. And then I kind of backtracked on that because we saw what happened in Texas where, you know, the Texas law goes through and MSNBC and CNN are up in arms about it for a week or two. And then it kind of went away and it didn't actually uh, really dramatically affect politics. And so I think I then underestimated the uh, the impact. So uh, wow! And and Henry, let me ask you. Um, obviously, this is specific to Kansas, but can we extrapolate what this might do in November? No, I don't. Because what we what we know is that um, Democrats, Independents, and some Republicans did not want to repeal the Kansas state. Constitution's abor- protection for abortion rights. 
that doesn't tell us about the salience of that issue in a partisan race. Uh, obviously, what we'll be hearing about from uh, the progressive media over the next 72 hours will be that that does tell us something. What it tells us is there's a threat. It tells us that there's a lot of people whose votes that Republicans want who don't want abortion rights repealed, uh, and that there's an intensity about that. Uh, what it doesn't tell us yet is how that's going to factor into a partisan race, but it's certainly a huge warning sign flashing in front of the Republican Party at this point. Henry, what else are you seeing out there tonight in Michigan and um, other areas that you're seeing that, that would stand out to our listeners? Yeah, you know, what I'm seeing uh, is a lot of establishment victories in the Republican side, and um, you've got uh, the people uh, who kind of were the favorites, who aren't necessarily MAGA types, but are clearly uh, conservatives, like Eric Schmidt or Tudor Dixon, winning pretty easily. Uh, Peter Meyer, the pro-impeachment and, uh, representative in Grand Rapids, is narrowly ahead uh, in his race, and... Uh, as as we speak, returns from Washington State, where two more pro-impeachment uh, members are um, being, uh, just looking at the first returns, Dan Newhouse is winning, is ahead in his race. He was another pro-impeachment Republican, and um, the Trump-endorsed person is running third uh, behind the Democrats. So, you know, I'm looking at this and saying, well, you know, uh, it kind of tells me what I've known for a while, which is that if you are a conservative, in tune with the modern Republican Party, you don't have to be a Trump acolyte to win. Georgia showed that, right? Well, so did Virginia. Yeah, Virginia, Georgia. I mean, you're going to see it more and more, more and more. Henry, what do you think we should be looking at the rest of the night? What races stand out to you that people should pay real attention to? You know, outside of the races in Arizona, which I think are incredibly important, but you guys have already talked about that, I think what you need to be looking at is the Meyer race in Michigan. Where, you know, if he can survive uh, a Trump attack and the Democrats dropping half a million dollars against him to boost the uh, the Trump endorsed candidate, you know that speaks uh, that that tells anybody in the Republican Party that you can stand up to Trump and win. And then you've got two, the two people who also voted for impeachment in Washington. Those results are just coming in now. How did Nan Newhouse and Jamie Herrera Butler come in? And then the third thing that we won't know for about a week or so, and that is, how do Republicans fare statewide in Washington? Because the breakdown of the statewide vote in Washington adjusted for Washington's Democratic lean is actually a pretty good indicator of the nation. If Republicans outperform where they did in 2020 and 2018, that'll be an evidence of a Republican lean, despite what we've been hearing about the abortion issue. What do you think... Do you view these races as a America first versus establishment Republicans or just simply people that Trump endorsed versus people Trump didn't endorse? Because most of them would agree 95 percent of the time on the issues. Is that fair to say? Well, it depends on the race where you've got somebody who doesn't agree on the issue, like Liz Cheney. You're going to have uh, what I expect would be a massive defeat. Uh, but if Republicans who are willing to uh, adapt to the mood of the current party, like Karen Taylor Robeson did, like um, uh, a lot of these Republicans are, then I think what it shows is that um, uh, you, you, you can you can win, and uh, and that you, you're a strong candidate both in the party 
and in the general election. Henry, could you let's put a fine point on that. If you're a Republican running in a primary and you're an establishment Republican, you're a, a Reagan Republican, you're not a Trump Republican, what can what do we know at this point? What can you get away with and what is what is the line you cannot cross if you want to win a primary? Well, what you have to do is you have to emphasize the sort of issues uh, that Republicans are concerned about. You know, that the center of the Republican Party nationally, and it'll differ from place to place, but the center for the Republican Party nationally wants somebody who will fight on culture, fight against uh, the, the liberal media, fight against China, um, and fight for a more uh, fair economy. They're not concerned old ideological things, even if they would still like to have smaller governments, they're really passionate about something else. And so if you're able to echo that, then you uh, you can hold those other positions. But if you thumb your nose in them the way Liz Cheney has, um, then you're just completely read out of uh, the, the, the discussion, and you're relegated to that 20 to 30 percent of the Republican Party that really doesn't want to change from the 1992 Henry, we, we have to go to break right now. We're going to be coming back in just a minute with more from Henry Olson, Matt Lewis, and the Breaking Battlegrounds crew here on Election Night in Arizona. Now, back to Chuck Warren and Sam Stone with your live primary election coverage brought to you by Breaking Battlegrounds. Welcome back to Breaking Battlegrounds with your host Sam Stone and Chuck Warren, election night special here in Arizona. In the studio with us, Matt Lewis. On the line, sticking around for just one final question, Henry Olson. Uh, we are also going to have Greg Keller, uh, Republican political operative and lifelong Missouri resident, coming up to talk about those results. But, Henry, before we let you go tonight, what are you seeing in these early Arizona results? Because they seem to be tracking with the polling, except in the governor's race. Uh, uh, that's right. And I think kudos to Emerson polling as being the only pollster that seems to have got it right. Uh, but, yeah, I think what you're seeing is uh, a strong uh, movement among independents for Taylor Robeson and um, uh, resistance to Curry Lake's, um, um, uh, I'd say, theatrics. Uh, I would expect that the Election Day vote will break for Lake uh, in most places, but in, in Maricopa, 26% of the Election Day vote today was independent. And so you have to ask, uh, is that a uh, hidden uh, Robeson vote, or is that uh, independence? What percentage, Henry? What percentage was that again? Was independent today? Uh, Mar- in Maricopa County, uh, uh, in the Republican election day vote, about twenty six percent were registered independents. That that is a huge number in these elections. That is trem- that is yeah. a, a remarkable number. I mean, normally I I'm not sure offhand, but in, normally I believe that number is in the you know ten percent range. It was about twelve percent in the early vote, according to data that was compiled uh, by an independent person. Uh, but it's twenty six percent in Maricopa on the election day, uh, and uh, most of the polls showed. Taylor Robeson doing better with independence. There had been discussions that Blake publicized about a um, super PAC that was targeting independence on our behalf. If the election day vote does not break in Lake's favor, 
in Maricopa County. That's going to be huge, and this independent turnout may be a big reason for it. Wow. Okay. Well, the independents rising up. They make up a third of the electorate here in Arizona. The electorate more or less split one-third, 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 Chuck. And traditionally, they haven't had a huge impact in primaries, but that may be changing. Well, as you see um, with the vote totals this year, you're having a lot of people registered as non-affiliated independent. And I just think, you know, Tim Mooney, our friend, always calls these independents who are right of center as prodigal children. They're just tired of the party crap, but they're more your traditional mom and dad's Bush, Reagan, Republicans. And, you know, he's called them for years, these these prodigal Republicans. Chuck, for someone who's not from Arizona, independents can vote in the Republican primary? How, how does it work? Yeah, you have to request a you can go to the polls and request a ballot for either party if you're an independent and cast one ballot or the other. Um, likewise, and with Democrats the, don't really have a competitive primary. So so independence, the game is on the Republican side. Yeah. I mean, so we haven't talked about it, but we, we probably should. Uh, we, you can call the Democrat primary for governor right now. Katie Hobbs, 73.78 percent. Uh, Marco Lopez, 21.55. Aaron Lieberman, 4.67 percent. That race is over. Uh, obviously, they you know have a sitting incumbent in the U.S. Senate race, so that one's been decided. Uh, a closer than expected race on the Secretary of State side for Dems: Adrian Fontes, currently in the lead, fifty-two point eight five percent. Reginald Bolding, uh, running second, forty-seven point one five percent. That's a solid margin. I would expect that to hold up. I, I would expect I do Fontes too. to pull that out. I do too. Um, on the Republican side, Secretary of State Mark Fincham, 35.62% in the lead over Bo Lane, 27.38%. Shauna Bullock running third at 20.19%. Michelle Ugenti Rita running fourth at 1681 Uh So, so far, the races here in Arizona pretty much going according to the polling, according to kind of the expected results, right. except and, and, that the governor's race. And as our illustrious guest, Matt Lewis, just showed me, we still don't have votes from Pima um, and Pinnell. So who knows what that means? Well, I mean, and, you would know more. I, I mean, how many votes are down there in Pima right now? If I, if I am Carrie Lake or Karen Robson, how many votes are how many votes are down there in Pima? Well, for Karen Robson, the data we have suggests that that the more votes in Pima, the better, because her polling was showing her ahead in Pima County. Okay. So, uh, but Pima and Pinal both had pretty significant problems today running out of ballots. Yeah, I, I don't know how you Republican run out of ballots side. on Election Day. This is why people don't trust elections. You cannot make mistakes like that. Well, and, and I know that there was some talk of, you know, people chasing after an injunction, Um yeah, you know, that kind of thing. That may actually be necessary. I mean, if you have people who were turned away who were told that they could not get a ballot and turn it in who went to the polls, I'm sorry, you, you're going to have to extend the deadline maybe through tomorrow and have another day of voting where you have those ballots there because otherwise this is a – and it's going to be a mess. I, I can't even imagine. Oh, no, look, this is going to be a huge mess. <laughs> oh, my there, gosh. There's no way around oh. it. But, and I feel so bad for these candidates. This is just completely unfair to the candidates. Well, and, and frankly, you know, look, it, this is one of those cases when the recorders need to go. Yes. I mean, if that's really the case, those recorders, frankly, ought to resign tomorrow. You know, um, obviously, 
I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. These elections in and of themselves are are interesting, but the elephant in the room is always Donald Trump. And whether we're seeing in places like Washington State and Michigan and now maybe in Arizona, that these are surrogate battles for the future of the party. And I mean, it, it just it feels like this entire election cycle has been schizophrenic. One election will happen like West Virginia, where I live right now. And you're like, hey, Donald Trump endorsed Alex Mooney. Alex Mooney won big. Donald Trump is the kingmaker, you know, and then well, you go to then you go to Georgia and it's like, well, I guess Donald Trump's endorsement well, doesn't matter. But, but I have a, a different theory on that. I think I think he is a 35 percent candidate, a 35 percent endorsement, just like he was in the 2016 primaries. And so when you have a race, for instance, he endorsed Abe Hamaday for attorney general here. Now, the attorney general results so far, Hamaday in the lead, 28.82%. Rodney Glassman running second, 24.32%. Andy Gould, 18% in third. Dawn Grove, 14%. She's in fourth. Lacey Cooper, right under 10% in fifth. And Tiffany Shedd in sixth at 5%. Abe Hamaday was well back in that field until the Trump endorsement. You see him shoot up to 28%. He'll probably get 30 Blake Masters, 35 percent. He gets the Trump endorsement. If you have three or or four or five candidates. That's all you need. A Trump ticket is the ticket. But if you're going against, say, a Governor Kemp with one other person. Well, or here in, frankly, the governor's race here has come down to a two horse race. Right. I mean, you do have some other people in the field, but a couple of them are fringe candidates with no result. Well, let me ask you, how much of that is due to. Uh, Robeson being a good candidate versus how much of it is Ducey, Governor Ducey and Mike Pence saying, "Okay, this is going to be a two person race. I personally don't think Ducey and Pence had that big of a effect on this. I think it may have been almost a little bit negative I think with 20, primary voters. 20 million in spending, which is more than double right. what anyone doesn't hurt. ever spent. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I, I think. You know, that's hard to say. I don't have any exit polling, but my guess is talking to people, it's more of the $20 million versus Pence and Ducey. <laughs> yep. Breaking Battlegrounds, election night special in Arizona, coming back in just a moment. You deserve a home that's beautiful and stylish. At Overstock, you don't have to choose between low prices and quality. Find new, on-trend home goods that reflect your taste and don't compromise on value. You can be proud of your home and design a space where you feel like you, all under budget. Plus, you get free shipping on everything in the continental United States. Overstock is where quality furniture and decor cost less. Now, back to Chuck Warren and Sam Stone with your live primary election coverage, brought to you by Breaking Battlegrounds. Welcome back to Breaking Battlegrounds Election Night Coverage. I'm Chuck Warren with our host, my co-host Sam Stone, and our guest, Matt Lewis from the Daily Beast. We have on the line with us now a good friend, um, Greg Keller. He is a Republican political operative and a lifelong Missouri resident. If you want to know what's going on in Missouri, you talk to Greg. Greg, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. So tell us about the Senate race tonight. We know you didn't like Greitens, so tell us what I happened. I tell you guys, I thought that this one was going to be, you know, not not a nail-biter by any means. I thought that Eric Schmidt was going to win this thing by about 10 points. I thought that Eric Greitens was maybe going to finish second and Vicki Hartzler third. But 
it, it totally ended up being, of course, Schmidt is, is, is going to win and, and is winning running away. But he is winning. I thought he was going to get 35, maybe maybe 40% of the vote. Eric Schmidt is going to end up, as of now, he is at 46% of the vote. Vicki Hartzler, contrary to my prediction, is actually in second at 22%. And Eric Greitens, the failed former governor of our state who has been embroiled in so much controversy, isn't even breaking 20%. He is currently at 19% of the vote. So what happened? Tell us what happened. Why these big gaps that you didn't predict? So, uh, first of all, because I'm human and I'm therefore in <laughs> No, <perfect>. you're not. <laughs> say, don't say such a thing. Don't say such a thing. You're, you're, on, you're on Breaking Battlegrounds Radio. You're supposed to be infallible. <laughs> um, guys, um, the $64,000 question in Missouri politics for the last year, year and a half has been, uh, what is Eric Greitens' percentage floor in a U.S. Senate primary after a very expensive, nasty, multi-candidate primary? Uh, this is a man who started this primary in the mid to high 40s. I believe the first numbers we saw out of uh, this primary for, for, for polling purposes placed him around 48%. I would have guessed that his floor was 30 to 35 percent. And as he has gone down and down and down, further and further and further, and as more revelations have come out about further horrible things that he has done in his personal life, at some point, the bottom got knocked out. And that 30 percent, you know, that bottom got knocked out. Eventually, he was pulling in the mid-20s. Then he was in the low-20s. And then we see the result tonight of him eventually ending up somewhere around 19%. So the story of this race is just the epic collapse of, of Eric Greitens, who until, you know, about three to four weeks ago was, was leading this race. We're with Greg Keller, who the St. Louis, St. Louis Post-Dispatch called the Dark Prince of Secrecy. He's a political consultant. He knows all. We're going to enter Matt Lewis here from the Daily Beast has a question for you, Greg. Hey, man, I'm, I'm curious if that infamous advertisement or at least web ad the Greitens ran about rhino hunting if that impacted this race as far as you could tell yeah you know what Matt it's funny because when I first saw that ad I I thought that it was a little much but in and, and Matt you know me I'm I'm about as conservative uh as as they come and I'm, I'm about as Trumpy as as they come but that ad to me seemed like a little bit much <laughs> but I, I, of course, don't always, you know, trust my own counsel. But when I first started talking to some friends of mine in Missouri, you know, guys, big time Second Amendment, you know, uh, law enforcement, former military type friends of mine in the, in, in the St. Louis, Missouri area, who said, I was getting texts when that ad first came out. And the texts were from these guys for something to the effect of, wow, Greitens just jumped the shark. And so I think that that kind of nudged the door open for some of these voters who otherwise would have crawled over broken glass to vote for this guy. Um, I think that nudged the door open. But I think what really made the difference was, you know, these revelations about, you know, Eric Greitens, um, you know, sworn affidavits from his from his former wife about, you know, him hitting her and their four year old son and stuff like that. But, Matt, to your point, yeah, I, I, I do think that that ad was was considered even a little bit too much by his own strongest supporters. How much 
did the scandal play? I mean, I mean, that's actually kind of coming from the outside perspective, Greitens' history. How much was that really on voters' minds, and how much was it a bad run for office, which is which is what I saw looking at it from, from here? I thought it was both. Um, you, you know, it, it's a good reminder in politics that I remember the first campaign I ever worked on was for, for Jim Talent, my first two uh, – Two of my first three statewide campaigns. Um, I, my first campaign, I was I was Jim Talent's body man who was running for Senate in 2002, and we finished an event after traveling every single day, uh, 18 months in the state of Missouri, and and we got in the car, and he said, "Greg, I think the voters. This is after 18 months. He said, Greg, I think the voters are just starting to understand my message." And I said, "Really? <laughs> let's let's, ch- let's get more of that when we come back with Greg Keller here in just a moment." Now, back to Chuck Warren and Sam Stone with your live primary election coverage brought to you by Breaking Battlegrounds. Welcome back and still on the line with us. And thank you, Greg, for holding Greg Keller, uh, Republican political operative and lifelong Missouri resident, telling us about what's going on in the races there. When we're left, we're talking about how much of Eric Greitens unbelievably poor showing tonight came courtesy of a bad campaign and how much came courtesy of kind of his history of scandal. Uh, And Greg, you were telling us a little bit of a story there. I'm sorry I cut you off. We had to go to break. Uh, Thank you for sticking with us. No, my pleasure. Uh, uh, I was was just saying that that, uh, at the time, my first campaign working in politics was with Jim Talent. We got back in the car. He said, Said, Greg, I think I think I think they're just starting to to realize the the story or, or the or the message that I'm trying to tell them, and I said, Well, how'd you know that, Congressman? And he said, Well, you always know that they're starting to get what you're talking about when you have said it so many times, you want to throw up on your shoes, and <laughs> that to me is one of the most important re- lessons in politics. All these rumors, all these stories about the sworn affidavit, about Eric Greitens beating his wife, about beating his then, well, his then wife, beating his four-year-old son, that had been all over the media, didn't make a dent in any of his standings in the poll. It wasn't until this, uh, until the outside group came in and put eight to ten million dollars into that message with highly effective commercials, that it totally tanked his numbers. So it's a really important lesson, I think, particularly for political operatives to remember that unless and until you have sunk a thousand points statewide in every media market into a message, it's just not sinking in with voters. That's what happened with Eric Greitens, and it's one of the big reasons that they lost. Uh, Greg, I wanted to get your take on what you thought of Trump's endorsement of, quote, Eric. (laughs) And also, just uh, not 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 specifically in in Missouri, but generally speaking, the Trump effect, uh, his the power of his endorsements. You know, I had a talk, Matt, early on with some of the Trump folks, and and about, this is about a, not early on, but a month or two ago, I had a talk with them, um, and, and they said, and they had done an analysis of exactly what on a percentage basis, a Donald Trump endorsement means in a congressional or a Republican primary. And one of the takeaways that they took from it was that um, a, a Donald Trump endorsement in and of itself is worth 
you know, it, it is still the most powerful thing in Republican primary politics. But campaigns who think that, oh, Donald Trump endorsed me, therefore I will win, they will find that they found that those campaigns are not nearly as successful as those campaigns who, again, actually put resources behind talking about that message on the media. And I think, you know, you know when pray, there was pray as if it about, all depends on Trump, work as if it all depends on you. Exactly. So so it's great if Donald Trump endorses you. But if you don't if you're not putting money behind that message, you're not going to make the most out of it. So even when, you know, the rumor came down that he was going to endorse yesterday was going to endorse Greitens and Greitens only all, all the time had run out. Greitens campaign was totally broke. Maybe it was worth a couple points at that point. And I think the president was smart to split his endorsement between, as you said, Matt, the two Eric's. <laughs> We're with Greg Keller, um, a political consultant, a lifelong Missouri resident, um, talking about the Senate race out there. Um, Greg, what do you think about the Kansas results tonight regarding the abortion initiative? Oh, you got me totally off guard on that. Chuck. <laughs> I totally apologize. I've been so in Missouri world. The entire night, I have no, no idea what you're talking. No, about. no worries. <laughs> Tell us what else our listeners can be paying attention to in Missouri tonight. Any other surprises in Missouri tonight? So we had two big congressional primaries that went on this year. Uh, one was for Vicky Hartzler, who ran for U.S. Senate. There's uh, a guy who ran and won, actually a former newscaster by the name of Mark Alford. Um, kind of ran as a typical, you know, outsider, raised a bunch of money. This guy won this race going away. He beat a couple state senators by almost two-to-one margin, total outsider, very much hugged the MAGA thing very closely. Uh, down in the 7th, that's uh, the, the district that Billy Long came out of, where he also ran for Senate, uh, obviously lost. I think he's probably going to end up with about 4 or 5% of the vote. Um, but in that particular district, there was actually a dist- uh, there was a state senator by the name of Rick Bratton who won that going away. The big news out of that district was that Rick Bratton was a guy that Club for Growth really believed in. Guys, they put $1.7 million into this congressional district in southwest Missouri. This is the old Roy Blunt district. They decided that there was a state senator by the name of Jay Watson running who was just you know, kind of your typical Chamber of Commerce Republican, and they put $1.7 million. And if you're going to give credit to the Club for Growth tonight, you got to look at Missouri 7 because they got their guy and they got him by a big margin. Wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, you know what it it does show, and I I think, you know, to be fair, the results here in Arizona show the same thing. Money matters. I mean, at the end of the day, there's so many people. It generally does in campaigns. Yeah. Greg, what can people what so do you see any roadblocks to Republicans keeping that Senate seat in Missouri? We're gonna have an interesting situation here, guys, because uh looks like Trudy Bush Valentine is going to end up winning the Democrat nomination. She of course is a scion of the Anheuser Bush fortune. Um her personal net worth is estimated somewhere in the, you know, a hundred million dollar range. Uh, she has money to burn. And also Jack Danforth has decided that he is going to stand up and fund an independent former Republican candidate to run as an independent. His name is John Wood. He was the head of the January 6th committee. 
long time. Greg, I, I apologize. I'm going to cut you off here because I have a guest waiting on the line here. I want to thank you. We may come back to you a little bit later tonight, but uh, really appreciate your insights. Right now, I have uh, uh, John Gibbs from Michigan, who is in a very close battle there. Uh, and we want to get him on because we, we really appreciate him giving us his time this evening. Uh, Mr. Gibbs, I know you are in You were endorsed by President Trump. You were endorsed by Ben Carson. And you are in a race that every time we look at the results tonight, it keeps flipping. What's going on there and, and how are you feeling? Well, uh, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, it is, has been uh, quite a nail-biter. Uh, things do seem to be... Uh, pretty interesting in terms of how uh the lead is uh you know uh it's gone to Meyer a little bit but it's been mostly with us uh we believe that they're likely counting absentee ballots first and then counting election day after that and we do much better with uh people who vote on election day so uh yeah we're just keeping an eye on it and seeing how it goes and uh i think we're guardedly optimistic how much did president trump's endorsement help in, in this primary uh, you know, I, I think it uh, obviously did uh, make a difference. You know, our Republican Party for many years, long before Trump, has had to divide between the base and the establishment. And Trump was just the first guy smart enough to really step up and represent the base and win by doing it. Um, and people recognize his success in doing that. So uh, that's why he's respected, and that's why his endorsement means uh, quite a bit. Um, I have the endorsement of Dr. Ben Carson as well. But that being said, um, it's me who's on the ballot. Um, uh, Trump is not on the ballot. I am. So people are voting because they uh, like my story. They like who I am. We're not going out and visiting people, uh, meeting with people. Uh, we've actually went to every single city and township in our district. Um, it's been a very positive reaction. So people are ultimately voting for me uh, on the ballot. But the, the Trump endorsement uh, definitely does help. Now, I, I know uh, previously you had worked, uh, you were appointed by President Trump, Acting Assistant Secretary uh, for Community Planning and Development at HUD under Secretary Carson. Uh, and one of the things that you were responsible for there was was the federal fight against homelessness. Uh, and how much is homelessness playing an issue in your campaign? Uh, because we find here in Arizona and across the country, that's actually a much bigger issue in Republican primaries than it's been in the past. Well, you know, um, I would just say an issue of homelessness, uh, the pattern that you see, a very clear pattern, is that federal and state spending on homelessness has been increasing over the past 20 years, but the problems will be getting worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the politicians seem to be stuck on spending more and more money, throwing more money at the problem, but it's not actually solving the problem. So that's the first issue we've got to solve. And in my role as Assistant Secretary at HUD under Dr. Carson, we did run into this issue quite a bit. And, um, you know, uh, the establishment uh, machinery likes to keep the money flowing. So whenever you propose solutions that are not about destroying more money, that are about self-sufficiency, really getting to the heart of the issue and dealing with people in order to bring them up um, uh, and out of the situation they're in and to really get them to the God-given dignity uh, of work and um, and uh, in their life, that faces opposition because you're not, you're not uh, keeping the money flowing. So uh, that's what I would say about homelessness. The biggest problem is that there is this belief that just putting more money into it will solve the problem, which is clearly not the case. Yeah, I, I find it hard, you know, when people make that claim that we, if we just throw a few more dollars at this, it's going to going to fix it. When you have, you know, California, for instance, spends I think uh, Los Angeles something like fourteen times what we do here in Phoenix, Arizona, and obviously their problem is worse than ours on, on a per person basis, fourteen times what we do. Um, so I, I appreciate hearing, you know, from someone like yourself that. You, you need to look at other approaches to this problem. 
Absolutely. I mean, this is a huge problem. And, you know, Americans are compassionate people. Uh, we care about others, and we especially care about the poor. Uh, and people kind of instinctually might think that, you know, putting more money into something is how you, you know, help those people. But it just doesn't work the way people's intuition uh, thinks it works. So, you know, this is an issue we have to continue to communicate to the to the American people um, and uh, uh, just to kind of get things in the right direction. Well, really want to thank you for joining us tonight. I know you're busy. I want to let you get back to your election night. Uh, hopefully what will be a victory party for you there. Uh, it sounds like you're in a pretty good position as, as results start coming in from the day of voting. Uh, and really thank you for coming on and joining us tonight. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Fantastic. John Gibbs uh, running for uh, Congress, Michigan's third congressional district. Obviously, he has an, a pretty amazing background. And one of the things I think, Chuck uh, and, and Matt, too, that frankly Trump was a little underrated on was bringing in people like John Gibbs from outside of the normal political circles into some of those positions where, yeah. you know, they got some experience. They learned some things. They had some successes. And and not just this election, but we've a, a whole Donald Trump has now been the dominant political figure in the Republican Party for seven years. So there are all sorts of people who have come of age uh, who are now Trump. They He's our Ronald Reagan. I mean, you know, right. people of my age, Ronald Reagan was the guy. There are a lot of people now. You, you mean Ronald Reagan was your Ronald Reagan? <laughs> Ronald Reagan was my Ronald Reagan. <laughs> uh, there's way too much gray hair in this studio tonight, folks. <laughs> That's We're glad you brought your son with you because yes. otherwise uh, there, there's a very good possibility that at least one of us would have a heart attack in no, here. But, that, but it is something Donald Trump did and did well is he recruited people like this, people who generally would not be in the Washington, D.C. area. Um minorities and gave them positions of authority and management. And I think you're going to see them play an influence in Republican politics for 10, 20 years. And and people who wouldn't have been, I mean, I'm not saying this specific case, but there are people who are not the establishment and they would not, they, the gatekeepers would not have allowed them in, in the olden days. And, um, and in some cases, maybe they shouldn't have been allowed in. In other cases, they sh- they may be the future. Well, the amazing thing is now John Gibbs, if he goes ahead and wins tonight and wins in November, in two years he'll be establishment. Isn't that how it works? People, don't, people, people yeah. don't seem to get that. Once you win and you're there a couple of years, you are now the establishment. Except for Donald Trump, who never yes. became the establishment. Yes. Well, I, I think it speaks to something about Trump that that influences his ongoing in, you know strength in the party is that he had a lot of people in there that were really focused on getting things done that weren't stuck to the establishment paradigm. And some of those areas they had real successes in. in Foreign policy, quite frankly, I think he did better than anyone could have expected and better than any recent president did. Um, And this is another area I thought under Ben Carson that they really had an opportunity to do a lot of things at HUD I think he understood some of the problems in a way maybe some other directors of HUD have not. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how far that carries. Now, we have to go to break here in just a moment. Matt Lewis sticking with us. Uh, really appreciate having you in the studio here tonight. Glad to be here. And uh, we got some more great guests coming up. Breaking Battlegrounds comes back. You deserve a home that's beautiful and stylish. 
At Overstock, you don't have to choose between low prices and quality. Find new on-trend home goods that reflect your taste and don't compromise on value. You can be proud of your home and design a space where you feel like you, all under budget. Plus, you get free shipping on everything in the continental United States. Overstock is where quality furniture and decor costs less.